This podcast is brought to you by David Benjamin and David Komlos, the authors of a new book entitled Cracking Complexity, the breakthrough formula for solving just about anything fast. Please listen to podcast number 719, where David Benjamin and Greg speak about the 10-step formula he and his partner created and have been applying with top organizations on their biggest, most complex challenges for nearly two decades. Business and the world around it are moving at lightning speed, and cracking complexity is a valuable and important skill that all organizational leaders need. The formula itself is a breakthrough in problem solving that's sure to help you and your business quickly deal with just about anything complex. So listen to podcast number 719, where David and Greg discuss the formula, its benefits, and what it could mean to you. If you want more information on the book, please visit www.crackingcomplexity.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Boyce and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And as I do every time, Bob, I like to let my listeners know how appreciative I am of them. Uh, they've been coming from around the world, over a quarter million listeners now uh, from all walks of the globe. And it's just fascinating to see these numbers grow and people more and more interested in what we do. And I have Bob Anderson on. Uh, many of you know that we did an interview with his partner, Bill Adams, uh, about a book called Scaling Leadership. When I was on that call with Bill, I asked him, hey, I would love to do another podcast. And now this morning, we're on with his co-author, Bob Anderson, who is actually joining us from Chicago, but lives outside of Toledo, Ohio. Good day to you, Bob. How are things there yeah. in Chicago? Beautiful, sunny day. Well, it's good to have you on our podcast, Inside Personal Growth, and speaking with those listeners who have an interest in really mastering leadership, because that's what the book is about. Um, it's an integrated framework for breakthrough performance and extraordinary business results. And I will say there's a free online assessment when you get this. If you go to the back of the book, you can get the link and take the assessment. And I'm going to let everyone know a little bit about you, Bob. <clears throat> Bob is a pioneer in the field of leadership development research. Um, he's the founder, chairman, and chief development officer of the Leadership Circle, co-founder and chairman of Full Circle Group, and creator of the Leadership Circle Profile. And now that's a mouthful, but if you go to the website www.leadershipcircle.com. Going to read a fascinating story about Bob's history, which I think will set the tone for why you would want to get involved with Leadership a Circle Profile, take the profile. Now, for the past 35 years, he's dedicated his career to exploring the intersections between leadership and mastery, competence, consciousness, and spirituality and business. Uh, he serves as adjunct faculty for the Executive Ed Education Center at the University of Notre Dame, Mendoza College of Business. He and his wife of 32 years make their home near Toledo, Ohio. They enjoy traveling the globe, and he is traveling today. He's in Chicago for his son's birthday. Well, Bob, uh, pleasure having you on. And Thank you. You know, one of the things that I find happening in the world of business, just business in general, is leaders have it seems to be more and more tough because of the complexity that we have to deal with. Um, yeah. 
you know, businesses become more complex. Life seems to be more complex. Technology has us moving at lightning speed. Uh, these leaders need to thrive during in this state. And it can be extremely confusing and it can be difficult. What advice would you give those leaders who are trying to figure out what's next and how to get there? <laughs> oh, right. Like we can answer that one really quickly. Well, you can't, um, but, you, but, but you got 35 um, minutes. <laughs> I'm, I know. I'm just, I'm because I laugh because it's, it is so complex and um, what that means is that we're constantly faced with uh, adaptive challenges, which is a whole set of unsolvable dilemmas that come in together and they're interdependent and and you're facing them every day and they seemingly can't be solved and yet you have to right and um and so and and it's happening i mean the uh the rate of disruptive innovation uh is uh, is, uh jeffrey west said in a book called scale he said it's reaching a singularity the physicist it's reaching a singularity where we're innovating so fast now in a way that disrupts or changes the very fabric of society and the way we organize our economy and so on. It's happening at a rate now that actually could um, uh, tear us apart. And so uh, the, there's no question that it's becoming increasingly complex, volatile, disrupted at, a ever in, at an accelerating rate. And so leaders are in this, we're in it in our business, um, and uh, we're growing. And so you're trying to grow your business into this, right? So with growth comes added complexity. We've, we've grown about 150% over the last three years in our own business and completely outstripped all of our uh, systems. And, um, and so with, with growth comes tremendous complexity and then you're doing that in in a world that's becoming complete complete uh, more and more disrupted and complex and so this is the world leaders face. i mean everywhere we go around the world this is the conversation and so the kind well, of leading you know, when, you, when you speak about that bob you also it was one of my other questions but i think it goes hand in hand with this is volatility uncertainty complexity and ambiguity right. And right. in the book, you both speak about the consciousness that we must evolve. I mean, right. Uh, right. I've I've had Richard Baird on here. Um, I've had many different mm -hmm. people that teach leadership. Ken Wilber, uh, Fred mm -hmm. Ludo, um, all kinds of people that are in this same field. Um, uh, Judy Neal. Uh, and the same question always comes up is this evolution around consciousness to evolve to a higher point to meet the complexity and business challenges. Um, while we're on this topic of this complexity, speak if you would about the volatility, the uncertainty, the complexity, the ambiguity that leaders are dealing with today and, and how you would address this using your leadership circle approach and your approach to solving some of these issues. Yeah, well, I think the basic, I mean, the basic frame is, uh, are, are you more complex than the problems you face or are they more complex than you are? And by you, I mean you individually and you collectively. It's your collective level of uh, intel intelligence, meaning making, the mental models you're using, the assumptions that are running you every moment, uh, 
how evolved are those? How mature are those? Because if they're not uh, at a level of the elegance, the other side of complexity, by complexity, I don't mean complicated. So if you haven't evolved a, a more complex meaning-making, decision-making, emotional intelligence, self-awareness system in, in you in you and in you collectively, then you're outmatched by the complexities. So it takes a high degree of uh, uh, maturity and uh, to be a, to be effective as you need to be in today's environment. And so there is a uh, there is an imperative now that leaders individually and collectively uh, evolve at or beyond the pace of change into more uh, adapted. Uh, what we call operating systems for um, being effective in this kind of complexity. And adults can evolve, and if they do, and there's a whole body of research here uh, that we're right in the middle of, um, they can evolve, If and if they do, they can evolve from, you know, like just to use an operating system, they can move from DOS to Windows, <laughs> and to Windows 10. And so there are discrete, measurable, uh, uh, developable uh, uh, operating systems that adults can uh, move into. And, and as they do, they become more effective in complex, in increasingly complex content. That's a, isn't that a two-sided, you know, I've, I've had Stephen Kotler on my show many times about hacking flow, right? And there's more and more demands on leaders today and people to be more creative, more innovative, and to solve right. these problems, right? And I right. get that people are using every different imaginable way to hack flow. Um, how do I stay in flow and maintain this? How do I uh, attain these levels of consciousness? And in one sense, this discussion is about how you evolve spiritually. Um, how do you address this? Because there is a big uh, elevation of consciousness. And I know you and Bill told this great story uh, at the beginning of the book about the tapas monk you met, I think it was Bill that yeah. met him. And the story kind of sets the stage for a book. And you tell the leaders about, if you would, about this encounter that Bill yeah. had, not that you had with the monk. No, I had, it was actually my encounter. Oh, okay, um, good, good. So you tell well, the leaders well, I, about this because they it grows through this predictable stages of consciousness all the right. way to a union with God is what this monk said, right? Right. And right. I, when I read that, I said, these gentlemen are on the right track because, you know, if we can just teach that in business and people get that in their DNA, how do you help people get there? Bob? Yeah. Well, I don't actually distinguish between the process of developing um, in the way that we describe it psychologically from um, from a spiritual process. So I think all of this is like spiritual boot camp. But anyway, to go to the monk story, I I had heard about this monk who was doing this work around the world. Uh, and I was um, intrigued because I was very interested in personal development. And I also was approaching that personally from my own spiritual perspective. And so I wanted to meet this guy and it was set up. and. Um, Turns out he was ill. He was in the monastery as a Trappist monk, loved the monastery, but couldn't stay there because of a health issue. And um, so he got out of the monastery, he didn't know what to do with himself, and uh, decided to go study psychology. And he ended up studying in, in the field of adult development, did the early 
research with Lawrence Kohlberg, Kohlberg uh, pioneered this whole field uh, from, uh, on adult development, and he looked at it from the from the perspective of moral development. How do how does ethical and moral decision-making evolve as people evolve. And he found very discrete, measurable stages. And of course, that's been um, built upon by other researchers. And there's a whole field now in adult development, but, but this monk was right at the start of it. And, and he's working with Lawrence Kohlberg. And he, and he, and he said to me, he hates a, he's a cigar smoking, uh, scotch drinking, was a sailor before he was a monk. So his language is a little rough and I won't go, I won't use his language. Like, Holy miracle. They found out the same thing we've known for millennia. Uh, and by we, he means the, the, the monastic traditions, east, west, north, south, uh, these deep contemplative traditions have mapped out the stages by which adults can evolve and they evolve from early stages, more egoic stages and progressively, progressively. And if you take it, um, all the way, it's uh, very high stages of awareness and, and up to and including union, divine union with the with divinity. And so, mm -hmm. um, uh, what what he was shocked by and excited about was it's now measurable, and we're actually developing a technology to measure and help leaders develop into higher order systems of thinking and consciousness. And we absolutely have to go there uh, to keep up with the complexity we talked about earlier. Well, and I think that's a key point here. I think it's a it's a major key point is that this your spiritual development needs to keep pace because all of this technology is going to require you to be at that vibrate at the new level of consciousness. And you speak about right. four universal promises of leadership. Um, for our listeners, what are those promises and why are they so important for leaders to understand? Well, um, we work with this with leaders all the time. It's like when you step into a, a position of leadership, whether you're aware of it or not, you're, you're making pro a promise and you're held to really high expectations. So we ask, how many of you think you're, you know, uh, held to high expectations, every hand goes up. How high is the bar? Really high. And and you're expected to develop, so the bar is going up. You're expected to be more effective next year than this this year. So you you literally are being held to a set of expectations that are both explicit and implicit. Uh, and that and you're making that promise, whether you're aware of it or not. And so uh, some of them and the key ones are um, that you're going to set um, the right direction and, and a meaningful direction that engages people's aspirations and, and, and sets forth a purpose or a vision or a direction for the organization that's meaningful, that is worthy of people's life blood or commitment. And of course, in the book Conscious Capitalism by uh, John Mack and Raj Sasoda, this is higher purpose. It's one of the core principles of, of conscious capitalism. Is that and, and so leaders and are are held to that promise that you will help set a direction that engages our spirits and aligns us. And then you'll um, the second is um, engage all stakeholders and hold them accountable. So um, you will. Uh, this is the business is not only for the owners, but how do you engage all the stakeholders, suppliers, customers, employees, um, 
and uh, optimize the value for all stakeholders and um, engage them in setting the direction for the business and, um, and, 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 and deriving value from it. And then there's an accountability that comes with that. So how do you hold the key stakeholders accountable to those kind of commitments to each other? Um, and then there's the sec third one is you're evolving the kind of systems and processes in the organization that make that work and work ever more effectively and efficiently. And you're giving people the right uh, systems and tools. So, for example, when I said our, we outstripped our tools, well, we've actually not fulfilled on this promise over the last couple of years because we literally outgrew our system. So now we're we're having to invest heavily in how do we put it in place the kind of infrastructure that the business now needs in order to support uh, further growth and not burn out our people. So this is a promise that we are constantly working. And then, of course, the final promise, and one on which all the others depend, is that you're, you're promised to be an effective leader. And that you promise to get more effective. And, of course, if you don't do that, then you don't do um, any of the others. And that promise is both individual and collective. So we, we, we use that language a lot because we think most businesses aren't focused on what we call collective effectiveness. They might have efforts aimed at individual effectiveness, succession planning and um, uh, uh, training environments or give people coaching or, you know, those kinds of things that are aimed at individual effectiveness. But 95% of the time when we go in, we say, have you ever really worked to improve your collective effectiveness by trying to move the needle on a key business metric over a period of a year and really get better at how you work together? And they go, wow, we've never done that. And yeah, so, I think it's a collective actualized business. I mean, I remember the model as you're speaking in uh, Richard Barrett's book, Liberating the Corporate Soul, right? And I always remember that, the, you know, when, you, when you're doing this, you're trying to create alignment of people in the business, right? And I think what you're speaking about is this collective. There's a lot of individual egoistic right. stuff going on. And really, right. it is this egoistic stuff that happens with inside of businesses that start to bifurcate what really starts to happen because it's about the, the me and not the we, right? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and, and how that relates to stages of development is the earlier the person's level of development or the collective level of development, uh, the more it's about me and my own personal ambitions, uh, less about the we. Well, and I mean, so, look, we, we can be men here and be really frank. You know, we've got a leader of the most powerful country in the world that's about me um, and not about we. And that is not leadership in my estimation. Um, you know, it's just there isn't leadership coming out of the White House at this time. Um, yeah. You know, and you, you can see that. You can see the, I mean, it's a, the whole thing and the whole political scene in Washington is a dramatic example of a level of consciousness that's not complex enough for the challenge. Correct. Face, both nationally and globally. It's just inadequate and it's crumbling under the weight of it. Right. And, right, and so we. But I think, I think without too much digression there, I think this needed to happen and actually a, a, this president needed to be in there to have this crumble so people could see this. And this is just the first stage of hopefully an enlightened new leadership that can come aboard and 
hopefully take, you know, new positions there. But, you know, this disruption, right? Frequently disruption occurs, had to occur. Um, yeah, that That's a really positive perspective on it all. And I think, you know, you got to, oftentimes you got to break down before you break through. Picasso said every act of creation is first an act of destruction. And in the spiritual traditions, it's a death resurrection process. There's right, a dark right. side of the soul or a heroic journey, hero, heroine's journey. To, and, and so uh, as painful, as painful as it is, Bob, it yeah. has to occur. Now, you know, you, yeah. you and your partner speak about the outer game and the inner game of leadership. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I wanted you to talk to our listeners about the two games and the three domains of leadership and why this is important uh, to the meaning making of a system or making a system, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's this outer game and inner game, and then there's these three domains. But when I was going through the book, that was one of the key points that I wanted to make uh, here on this interview. Well, we all know this. Everybody knows this. I never get pushback to, to the notion that mastery at anything doesn't matter. Golf, uh, just look at what happened with Tiger Woods recently. Mas mastery at anything is a, is a, a constantly working your outer game, your technical capability, your skills, your knowledge, your experience, your all of that and you, you have to play at the level at which leaders play you have to be constantly working that game and if, if so it's highly evolved outer game arising on ever maturing inner game when you get those two together the inner maturity and the outer capability then you've got something really extraordinary and then the outer game runs or the inner game runs the outer game it's constantly mediating every moment how we're deploying ourselves in the circumstances. And so leadership is the deployment of self in the circumstances. You are your primary asset in any moment, how you show up, how you uh, presence yourself, uh, what's allowed to be talked about in the room, when you get triggered and reactive, how that plays out. All of that is your asset in any moment. And so what, how mature is that inner game that's mediating you, that is mediating you to the moment. And so this is where adult development uh, or consciousness uh, comes in. And so the early stages uh, of adult development uh, are socialized. Bob Keegan calls them socialized. They're outside in. I'm more authored by self than I am by others than I am by self. So I'm living uh, whether I'm aware of it or not, I'm trying to live up to your expectations or the expectations of people long, uh, long gone in my life or, the, uh, you know, very far past. And so uh, just for example, I, when I started out in my, on my own business, I didn't realize it, but I had a very high perfectionistic assumption. My worth, my very worth is defined by uh, perfect results all the time. And um, this is a common uh, belief structure, and it's an outside in. You define me. You, your assessment of the perfection of my results uh, defines me. So failure, not an option. One strike, you're out uh, kind of thinking. And that ran a pretty autocratic leader, even though I'm out there trying to talk about empowerment, involvement, engagement, all that sort of stuff. And it took some really um, serious feedback.
is actually interrupting, canceling out the very strategy I had for scaling my business, which was to help people learn and develop so they could teach and deliver the stuff I was creating. And they couldn't learn from me. What, because well, they could never get it right. Obviously, we know that frequently uh, the shoemaker with holes in his shoes, right? Um, exactly. So. And, and, you know, I attest to that too, but that doesn't mean you can't take the message. I've had lots of people tell me when they come in, you know, I'm the light because, you know, the energy inside a business is you can walk through many doors. And if you're perceptive about consciousness, you can feel the density of the energy when you walk through the door. People say that I'm crazy, mm -hmm. but no, I actually no, feel can. it. I, you can or feel the lightness. it. Yeah. Or the, or, the, or the lightness. That's true. Yeah. And you say, well, yeah. do I really want to work in this place? And the places you really need to be are the darkest places. Uh, yeah. Because those are the places that so much need the light. Not that you don't mind working in those places where there's tons of light and it's airy and it's a good feeling. You love that. Um, but really where we need to do our work is sometime in those darkest places. And that brings me, you know, you guys have created a great assessment. It's, it's phenomenal. Uh, what the work that you put in here and the diligence that you and your partner have come to, and you speak about the four quadrants of the universal model of leadership. I just want you to address those quadrants a little bit, because for all my listeners, what you're going to have to do is go to the website, leadershipcircle.com, and you can see uh, they've got pictures. You can take a self-assessment. I'm going to put links in the blog to all this. So you'll be able to go there, take a free assessment, see how this works. But if you would briefly explain or talk about the four quadrants and, and this universal model and why you believe it helps uh, businesses come to this point, really what you're really trying to get everybody to, and we're going to talk about it here in a second is unity, right? And that's what you guys are aiming toward, isn't it? You and Bill would love to have businesses be at this level of unity. Well, that's a tall order, um, but it, but at a minimum, the presumption of unity, the presumption, and I can speak to that when we get there, informing uh, a highly mature, what we call integral level uh, leadership consciousness or uh, capability. So, um, Four quadrants. Um, I just started with it with reactive. So the vertical axis in the assessment and in the model is consciousness. So it evolves from uh, what we call reactive to creative to integral. Those are stages of leadership. They're underpinned by stages of consciousness from outside in socialized. And then you move into, if you evolve, and only about 20% do move into a self-authored operating system where I'm less dependent on, as Covey said, uh, Covey's uh, frame for the reactive was dependent because I'm dependent on outside validation for my sense of security and so forth. And I'm constantly in what Larry Wilson called a play not to lose game. I'm trying to forward my objectives by playing to, uh, not to lose or fall short of all these expectations. When you move into the, when you evolve vertically, you move into, I still listen, I still want your input, but I'm now focused on what really matters most. And I'm building an organization that expresses uh, and lives that. I'm embodying the kind of leadership in every encounter that tries to trying to build the culture that I think is um, in our best interest. So it's more authored by self. And if it evolves even further, 
you're authored by something larger than that. And this is where servant leadership begins to evolve. And we become much more the architect of the, the larger welfare of the, of the whole ecosystem of our organization. Very evolved stage of leadership. So that's the vertical direction on the axis. The uh, horizontal is, we call it task and relationship, but it's really a bigger principle than that. It's the masculine feminine uh, principle. So on one side would be relationship stuff. Uh, all the heart connection, uh, teamwork, you know, that side of things. On the other side would be more of the agency, getting things done, purpose, vision, strategy. Um, and so those, those can be done, the, the, the relationships can be engaged reactively. So I'm either giving up power to be nice and be liked and sort of uh, submitting and becoming codependent or comply, we call it complying, but it's relationship oriented. You define me. I'm trying to ingratiate myself to you, but I become risk averse. And so, or you can be involved in relationship creatively, which is um, I'm really after your best interest in trying to bring out the best in you and in our team and in the organization. And that that takes a lot of power to do that. So there's a real shift on the relationship side. On the task side, you can be in with task very reactively, which is, can become overdrive, overdriven. I talked about my perfectionism and the kind of autocratic, high critical style of leadership that I didn't even know I was running. And so um, that tends to undermine the kind of teamwork and complex uh, teamwork that's required to, uh, and conversation that's required to solve really, really complex issues. So it falls short when it can't in complex environments, but it can evolve into creative task, um, which is the um, uh, focus on per higher order purpose, uh, the prom that promise of leadership that I talked about, and then translating that into strategy and systems and so on. And so that's the four quadrant uh, model. And of course, that can move even into the next level, which would be uh, how do you move that task and relationship capability to an even higher level, which is what we would call integral leadership, but it's highly systemic, uh, highly mature, um, and able to hold very divisive, uh, highly charged conflicts, intractable kinds of systemic issues in a conversation that it, that opens for the possibility of real breakthrough thinking. Well, and, it's uh, you, you and your partner have taken leadership from my estimation and i've been in this field for a long time i'm just going to say to a new level and ease of understanding using the model so the model is right, really right. very important yeah. you know i've yeah. been around a lot of people who haven't been able to get this on paper you you talk about larry wilson larry wilson has probably spent more nights in my home uh sleeping here talking to me <laughs> he and i were the very best friends he's um, a great guy all the way up to and including his his death, which was four or five mm -hmm. years ago, mm -hmm. I still go back to the old Wilson learning days and yep. the days with Larry and just a love of a man, amazing guy. Um, and but the evolution to try and actually articulate, I want to make this important point. These complex things that we're talking about to really make them simple. Um, Bob and Bill have done this model. You. you have to see 
because Ken Wilber didn't do it, right? Um, I, I won't even say Richard Barrett did it, Liberating the Corporate Soul. Judy Neal, no, but Judy wrote great books and great in the leadership field. But if you look at the key people that have kind of been playing around this field, I know in the beginning of the book, you talk about Peter Singe and all the people you hung out with. And, you know, you too, and I know this is, sounds like a huge commercial. And so maybe it is a huge commercial. It's a commercial for Bob and Bill. Go check out the leadership circle because you're not going to find anything like it out there. Now, unless somebody breaks through and does something different, uh, this to me is like the de facto. Go, go use it. Now, I want to yeah. sum up this interview, and you state that when consciousness that animates us and our leadership is that of unity, I knew we'd get there, justice is our neutral state, nonviolence towards acceptance of and the tolerance of differences is effortless. When we reach unity state, what you have seen happen within leaders and organizations embraces the unity state. What actually happens to a leader, um, Bob, when this happens? What Have you seen many leaders get to this state of unification? And if so, what does a day look like in their life? Well, I would say the answer to that is no. It's very rare. I mean, only... Well, with, yeah. only maybe, right? maybe the Dalai Lama or somebody like that. Well, right? the, there are figures like that or a Martin Luther King. We call, we're call we calling it... In fact, we're going to do some real study with the King Center because we think that Martin Luther King actually was a very evolved, integral level thinker leader informed by unity. So he wasn't yet operating out of uh, what would be in the classically enlightened uh, level of leadership, of leadership, but he was informed by it. So one of the principles in, in the King Center is written right on the wall when you're there is, why would I, how could I violate you when you are me? Now that is a beginning to really work from the presumption of unity. We right. are each other. Well, he sees there the unification is, that we are all one. I think you guys referred to it, and my listeners mm -hmm. know that I'm a devotee of self-realization fellowship. That's why I live in Encinitas, mm -hmm. you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, there's a drop in the water of the ocean. That's us. But the ocean is everybody. And the reality is yeah. we are all one. Now, however you want to paraphrase that or look right. at it, Martin Luther King got that, right? Sure, right. he got that. Um, the question is, 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 I guess the question that comes to me is, do you evolve and teach somebody that, or do people have those realizations and epiphanies and aha moments on their own that, hey, I'm finally there through their studies in spirituality or philosophy or wherever they may get it? I guess that might be my question. Most, it's an evolutionary uh, a life's work, you know. Um, to begin to get glimpses and then to have more and more access to uh, unity. And unity isn't one level. There's no multiple levels. We don't need to go there. But I'll give you one example of something that's going on right now. Yeah. And I won't mention it. I won't mention any names. But I have right. a leader, colleague, friend. There's a meeting going on this week, I think, at the Vatican. Uh, leaders and top CEOs in the energy sector and in the finance sector are coming together to say, what are we going to do about climate change? 
Mm-hmm. It's sponsored by the Pope. Uh, and he may speak at it. I don't know. We'll see. Now, this same conference happened last year. And it was so uh, successful that, that it, they wanted to do it again. And it's become a much, much larger group of CEOs gathering this year. One of the CEOs walking away last year said, I expected to come here and be roundly criticized and have it be a kind of painful experience of being a bad guy. This is an oil executive in the petroleum industry, right, energy sector. He said, this was the most spiritual conference in my life. I've never been to a meeting like this. Mm-hmm. And they're having hardcore discussions. Uh, very tough discussions around that because because in the in, 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 uh, right at the core of climate change are our thing called stranded assets, which means the banks are underpinned by oil. We right. can't pull it out of the ground, and we have a financial crisis as well. And this has this is interdependence. This is complexity I talked about earlier. These things have to be solved simultaneously, and so um, very complex. They come together for this, but the leaders that I know that were convening it are operating at this level we talk about or at least deeply uh, meditated into a spiritual unitive perspective and holding that uh, the whole dialogue was being held at that level and so you have these very large egos you know they show up with their private jets and bodyguards and stuff you know and and and, have a remarkable experience of conversation and dialogue and find it while it's very complex business conversation, they find it uh, uh, one of the most powerful spiritual events of their life. That's unity. Well, I think you uh, articulating that that's happening, you know, most people out there listening don't get that. I actually go to these Pando's Populous events and if anybody knows, Pando is the name of the largest organism on Earth and one of the oldest. Um, and quakening aspens that extends over 100 acres from a single root, right? That's the whole concept. But this whole um, concept uh, behind um, global warming, right? And all of the economic impact and the things we're seeing. You were just commenting before the torrential rains you're having there right. in the Midwest right now. Right. You know, all of these things, the economic impact to us as individuals, to our governments, to our systems, the strain on our systems is being seen at a worldwide level. And unless there are leaders willing to step up to the plate and start to work on solutions, um, I think the outcome can be grim. And I do believe we are a species who can uh, pull our head out of our you-know-what and actually start to address some of these issues. And I'm glad you mentioned that here at the end of our interview, because that's, it's, it's, it's kind of light. It's like you brought light uh, that, that there are leaders out there that are really realizing the connectivity between all of these things and trying to address that. And for I just my, learned this week, huh? I just learned this week that the, the uh, energy sector, the electric energy sector CEOs have come together and said they're going to reduce the carbon footprint of the grid by 80 i think it's 80 percent by 2050 and the person who told me said it's going to accelerate we'll be at 90 percent by 2040 wow so there's some real integral level leaders that are stepping up so when you get integral level leadership 
that takes that kind of maturing. It's very rare that's, that, that can step up and be informed by this presumption of our inherent, we're all in this together, our inherent unity. Then you've got some really great leadership that can carry the day here. We don't, if we don't have that, we won't make it through. Well, and I think you, I think you hit the nail on the head is, uh, I remember this story um, from uh, the India. They said to Al Gore, oh no, we've got to keep doing coal-fired plants, right? And if we don't do these coal-fired plants, because it's all we have and we don't have the money to go solar. So, you know, uh, Al Gore steps in, he talks to the solar guys and what happens is they ultimately end up with uh, going solar, right? And I, yeah, it's it's a wonderful story, but it really does come down and you're right and I love it. You know, if we can't get the money out of the way, you can't address the issue. Uh, you've got to look at this as if there is no restriction by finances. You've got to come at it in a different way. And we have put our lives on this Babylonian structure of money, um, which has existed for so long. And I'm not going to say we're going to move away from it anytime soon, but the reality is um, that is a constriction of how we would expand systems that would solve these problems. Um, if you understand what I'm, I'm sure you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 There's, there's shifts or changes in our financial system that are going to be required. That's why I get, that's why this integral mind is so important because you do have to reinvent systems. Uh, yeah. In order to create the kind of future that's going to thrive in the in in the complexities of the world that we're moving into, and literally things have to get reinvented on every level, and that's going to take a tremendous amount of wisdom, insight, and ability to be in dialogue on really complex stuff. And and the operating system that most of us are running, which we would call reactive leadership, is really not up to that challenge. And creative leadership is more adapted, but still uh, challenged by the levels of complexities that we're in. So we're, we're in a developmental imperative right now in businesses and in the world uh, to evolve at the pace at which the complexity is increasing or perish. That's, that's, that's a good news, bad news, because it puts all of us in a spiritual boot camp. Yeah, we, well, we're really challenged to evolve. We, and, we uh, are. And, you know, I just want to let my listeners know that if they would like to find a very, uh, how do I want to call this, visual way, both you and Bill have created, in my estimation, a foundational model here that can be used for years to come. Uh, Go to their website, um, get either one of the books. Scaling Leadership was the predecessor to this book, Mastering Leadership. Either one will help you get there, but definitely go to the website, leadershipcircle.com. Check out their products, their certifications, their books, their learnings, their white papers, uh, the keynotes and the webinars. Um, And Bob, it's really been a pleasure having you on the show, spending time with our listeners, discussing some of the very important issues around leadership, because it all starts there. Uh, That's where this is going to evolve to, and we have to to make these transformations in the world. We need more people like you. It's really been a pleasure having you on my show and I hope I can have you back again. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much.
podcast is brought to you by Barbara Sabin, the author of Gentle Energy Touch, the beginner's guide to hands-on healing. Please listen to podcast number 721, where Barbara and Greg speak about how anyone can access their own healing powers to move pinned-up energy which is affecting their body negatively. Blocked energy in our bodies can manifest as depression, anxiety, fear, arthritis, and many other illnesses. Learn from Barbara how you can move this blocked energy in your chakras and create healing in your own body in her new book, Gentle Energy Touch. Please listen to podcast number 721 with Barbara Sabin. To learn more about Barbara and access her many resources, please visit www.barbrasabin.com. Thanks for listening.